0: Well, today's message is not one of those happy messages. I'm going to brief you right now up front. My wife hates messages like this. She hates stories like this. You know, she she's one that she loves happy endings to every story, and I keep telling her, "Babe, every story doesn't have a happy ending." Now, it can have a happy ending, um, but many stories don't. Today's story is not going to have one of those happy endings. So, I'm going to just if you're one of those happy people, you've got to be happy all the time, I'm sorry, but this is how the scripture is laid out, so I can't do anything about that, all right? I don't know about you, but there are times in my life that I have heard stories, uh, I've, I've seen things or, or found things out in history that have really shaken me to the core. Have you guys had those kind of stories? Um, I had one of those stories about 30 years, a little over 30 years ago. I was studying for ministry in my undergrad, and one of my professors in Bible college shared a story that he was told when he was studying for the ministry at Dallas Seminary. And he said that he had one of these professors that loved to have pop quizzes. And sometimes he would pop quiz today, pop quiz tomorrow, pop quiz the next day. And all the students were always nervous about what's going to be on the pop quiz. Have you ever had a professor like that, a teacher like that, students? you ever had any teachers like that? They just love those pop quizzes. And as students, you know, we don't really like those, all right? So when this, this professor, one particular day, had the uh, seminary students, he said, take out a sheet of paper, number one to five, I want you to list the top five most influential people for the Lord that you know of. And all the students thought, man, this is a piece of cake. This is gonna be the easiest A I've ever had. And so they quickly wrote down top five most influential Christian leaders that they knew of and turned the assignments in. And then the next day they came back knowing that they all had an A and the professor busted their bubble and said, you know what, about half of you failed the quiz yesterday. How could we have possibly failed this quiz? It was so, you know, subjective. You know, how, how could we possibly get it wrong? And he said, about half of you put down people's names that are still alive. Still alive? Well, what, what difference does that make? He said, you don't understand, men. He said, it doesn't really matter what you do for the Lord in your ministry. Every one of these people that are still alive, they are one moral failure away from ruining everything they've done for the Lord up until that point. Wow. And then he kind of made his point. He says, people will remember what you do, very likely, what you do in ministry for the Lord, but I guarantee you they will remember how you finish. And then he asked the question, how will will people remember how you finish for the Lord? Now, I wasn't very smart then, and I'm not much smarter now, but I got the point. And it shook me to the core back then. And every time I reflect back on that story, it scares me to death. It scares me to think I am one moral failure away from ruining anything that I possibly have done for the Lord up until this point. I don't know if, you, I don't know if that sinks into you. Some of us have great beginnings. Some of us are in a great middle season in, in serving God. But how are we going to end? How will people remember our end? My message today is entitled, A Great Beginning Doesn't Guarantee a Great Finish. And many of you know the story of the tortoise and the hare. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about that story. But we're going to look at a king in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, that could have benefited from that story that I heard 30 years ago. Because he had a tremendous... Tremendous beginning. Unfortunately, he had a horrible ending to his life. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Let me just talk about his beginning. This guy's life is recorded in two places of Scripture. There's about a chapter and a half in 2 Kings chapter 12, and it actually starts in chapter 11. And then the other side of his story is told in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. And so he only has one chapter in, well, actually two chapters in Scripture devoted to his life. But what a life. And what a story that this guy's life tells. What a warning it is for each of us. You see, his beginning started off kind of, kind of crazy. The, most of you know that we're in the series of kings, and we're talking about kings of the north called Israel and kings of the south called Judah and the kingdom had split after Solomon's death, and Jeroboam and Rehoboam went their separate ways, and we're talking about a king in the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom kind of mimicked what we read about of Israel's history in the time period of the judges. If you know about the judges' period of Israel's history, they'll have a good judge, and they will serve God, and spiritually everyone will be in the right place, and then they'll go through a series of a period of decline. And then spiritually, they'll get far away from God. Well, that's the same kind of pattern that happens in Judah in the south after Solomon's death. They'll have a good king. They'll serve God. They'll do great things for God. Then they'll have bad kings and they'll go into idolatry and craziness and they'll get away from God. That's what's happened right before this king that we're talking about. His life. His name is Joash or Jehoash. Uh, His name is pronounced both ways or spelled both ways uh, in the same chapter of 2 Kings, Um, but it's the same guy, so it doesn't really matter. It's the same guy. If you see his name spelled a little differently, it's the same guy. So let me tell you about his beginning. His father has been killed uh, right after his birth in battle, and his grandmother sees this as an opportunity to seize the throne. So what she does is she takes the throne. Her name is Azariah. All right, and if if all these names get convoluted, that's okay, but just get the point here. So his grandmother, who happens to be the child of a guy named Ahab and his wife named Jezebel. Have you heard of them before? Okay. Kind of get the picture here. So this daughter, this grandmother uh, of Joash, usurps the throne. One of the very first things that she does is she eliminates all rightful heirs to the throne of Judah. She kills every child that she can possibly find. And the only reason that Joash is spared is because his great-aunt, who happens to be the sister of of Azariah. Get the picture? How confusing and how complicated this story is? So the sister, his great aunt, hides him in the temple for six years. And so she doesn't find him. Kind of a crazy story, right? This is a crazy story. Six years go by, and when the child, Joash, is now seven years old, the high priest decides now is the time. Let's bring him out. Let's coronate him on the Sabbath in front of all the people. And so he does that. And he has the wicked queen killed. He destroys the temples of Baal. He destroys or kills the priests of Baal. And the people are now re, they're reunited with God. They, re, they re-up their covenant with God. They reinstall true worship of God at the temple. And for, for many years now, they've been in spiritual decline. And now it looks like, hey, now there's a golden period of spiritual renewal, following God, reinstated in Judah now. Great beginning. And the priest who's done this, Jehoiah, he hands over the kingdom to this seven-year-old boy and say, there you go, son, it's yours. And he just backs off. An incredible beginning. If that's not enough, let me tell you a little bit more about this guy. Well, let me just read from you, for you his story in 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 20. 2 Kings eleven twenty 20 says this. Listen to how the people responded to all this. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after... Athaliah, that's the wicked grandmother, was put to death with the sword at the king's house. And Jehoash, that's the same as Jehoash, um, was seven years old when he began to reign. And in the seventh year of Jehu, that's the king in the northern kingdom, so don't get him confused, Jehoash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And then it talks about his mother, and then verse 2 and Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And here's, here's this little tidbit. I, I love the way writers of Scripture say, you know what, I'm going to give you a little peek of this guy's life. And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. That's the guy who had hid him, that's the guy who coronated him, that's the guy who, the high priest who did everything and then handed over the kingdom to him, became his mentor, became his advisor. Nevertheless, verse 3, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, and the people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high place, in the high places. So you can kind of hear great beginning And then the writer says, I'm going to give you a little sneak about his end. But I'm not going to tell you all the details yet. And then he does. Let's look at his accomplishments. Guy had incredible accomplishments at the beginning of his life. 2 Kings chapter 12, verse verse, 4. Tells how that he raised money for the renovation of the temple. You say, well, why did the temple need to be renovated? What's the big deal? There has been a hundred years that have gone by since Solomon had built and dedicated the temple. A hundred years has gone by. Judah has gone into periods of Baal worship and idolatry. And during those times, they've neglected the temple of God. And as they've neglected the temple of God, a hundred years can do a lot of damage to a building, even a stone building. And so it had been forsaken. It had been left to just do whatever Buildings do, which is, you know, fall apart. And so he said, okay, it's gone on long enough. It's time to rebuild, to renovate, to restore the temple to its former glory. And that sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? I said to the elders in the first sermon, first message, I said, if you guys ever want justification for a building campaign, for a capital campaign, for a building fund There it is. It's in Scripture. It's a good thing. Right? Amen? Amen? We look around and we say, well, nothing needs to be... Well, it will be someday. So let's go on to find out what about this guy. So he sets it up, and he sets up kind of a cool thing. He installs a special offering and says, okay, we're going to take a special building offering at the temple to restore the temple. It's going to take funds. And so they start collecting money, and they start collecting money, and start collecting money. And they keep getting the money, but there's a problem. Nothing at the temple changes. The priests don't renovate the the temple. Things are moving too slow. And so Joash says, okay, enough is enough. It's gone on. It's time to get with it. And so when things start moving, uh, when things move too slowly, he took other measures. He said, okay, it's time for plan B. I gave, I gave it plan A. Listen to what happens in verse 6, 2 Kings 12, 6. But by the 23rd year, 23 years later, King Jeho- Jehoash, um, of, the, of King Jehoash, the priest had made no repairs to the house, that's to the temple. Therefore, King Jehoash, Summoned Jehoiada, the priest, and the other priests, and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors. Kind of a good thing, right? If you were giving money to renovation, nothing was happening, he says, Okay, can't take any more money. You guys have collected the money, you haven't done anything. Listen to what he says. But hand it over to, uh, for the repairs of the house. So the priests agreed and they, that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. That they, the priests, should not repair the house. So what Jehoah, does Jehoash do? Joash do, the king? He says, It's time to hire professionals. You guys aren't getting it. It's time to hire the professionals. And so that's exactly what he does. He hires professional stonemasons, carpenters, bricklayers. He hires the guys who know how to get things done. And he hires them, and it's, it's very amazing. If you read through verses 11 uh, through 15, you see what happens there. He hires these guys. They get with it. They start renovating the, the temple. They do a phenomenal job. They stay within the budget. They're paid. That's kind of a great thing, right? They stay in the budget. And when they get finished, there is money left over to uh, rebuild and restore and to uh, get back or build back some of the gold and silver utensils that the temple should have had that kind of disappeared over the time. And if you want to know how did they disappear, they were taken off into Baal and other idolatry worship. They were taken out of the temple. An incredible beginning of this guy. Uh, look at verse 15. This is kind of an amazing verse. 2 Kings 12, verse 15. And they, the priests, did not ask for, the, for an accounting from the men, that's the professionals, into whom, ha- whose hands they had delivered the money to pay out to the workmen. For they dealt honestly. Honest Professionals, kind of a nice thought, right? Wouldn't it be great? Incredibly beginning that this guy had. He had done the right thing for the right reason, with the right, with the right purpose, the right way. Everything is looking good. And it's looking so good for Judah. But then things turned. Let's look at his mistakes. And this is where it gets ugly Really quick. 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. We're going to read the first part of his mistake, and then we're going to jump over to 2 Chronicles. But let's just look at 1 Kings first. So verse 17. He pays off the king of Syria with money that's been dedicated to God. And it's a crazy thing. This king of Syria has been a troublemaker both in the north and in the south, and in the surrounding countries, and he's kind of raiding back and forth between country to country to country, and he's, he's, he's causing major havoc. And so what happens is he starts working his way down to Judah and to Jerusalem, and Joash gets nervous. And so he plunders, he takes all the money that his grandfather, his father, and his great-grandfather great had stored up for the temple and him, his own money that he had set up for the temple, and he bribes off the king of Syria. Terrible thing. And we've read about that, and we've heard sermons in the last few weeks about how that's not a good thing. Never, does, never do we read that Joash goes to the Lord on his knees and says, God, you've got to help us, man. We're going to get beat up. Never do we read this in Scripture. He instantly says, bribery is the key. And bribery is never the key, is never the solution. So he restores peace to the kingdom, but at what cost? That's the question. At what cost did he gain peace? Listen to uh, his second. Mistake. He listened to the wrong advisors when his mentor died. Second Chronicles now. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 15. But Jehoiada, now that's the priest, that's the high priest, that's the guy who coronated him at seven years old and has been his mentor for all these years. He grew old and full of days and he died, and he was 130 years old at his death. Anybody want to live to 130 years old? Not me. No, no, too big of a responsibility. I don't want to live that long. Verse 16, And then they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel and towards God and his house. Here is the amazing thing about Jehoiada. He is a high priest. He dies and is treated like a king. He's buried among the kings because of all the great things he's done. Oh, if that was true about our king that we're talking about. You're going to find out about him at the end. The third thing, the third mistake that he made is he abandoned his spiritual foundations. Joash, Jehoahaz, had a great beginning. He had a great spiritual leader to mentor him and to encourage him, and he did all that was right in the sight of the Lord as long as Jehoahaz had a mentor. But when his mentor dies, he abandons them. Listen to what it says in verse 18. 2 Chronicles 24, 18. And they abandoned the house of the Lord. Now that's the king and all his advisors. The God of their father. And they served Asherim. That's one of the idols, main idols other than Baal. and other, and, and the idols, which means the other idols. And the wrath came on Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. So as soon as his mentor dies, he reverts right back into the practice of his grandmother. Wow. Here's his fourth mistake. He ignored God's invitation for repentance. You know, we serve a God that loves us, and so often people have this mindset. They see God as the God, they either see him one of two ways. They see him as the grandfather God who is just loving and caring and anything goes and just love you through it. Or their view of God is God is up there with a big stick. And as soon as you get out of line, he whacks you. That is, neither of those two are the biblical God. Neither of those two portray God as the Bible portrays him. God is a loving and gracious God. And when we get out of line, he loves us enough to send people into our lives that tap us on the shoulder and say, don't think you're making a good choice. I don't think what you're doing would honor God. I don't think it's going to be in your best interest to keep going down this path. And what happens to most of us, if you're like me, When someone tries to speak that truth in my life, we try to kill the messenger, don't we? We kill the messenger rather than listen to the message. Listen to what happened. Verse 19. And yet he, God, God, sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiah, the priest. So now, okay, you're not going to listen to a generic tap on the shoulder. You're not going to listen to a generic person. I'm going to send you someone very close, very close to to who you are, very close to someone who cares about you. And that's who Zechariah was. And he stood above the people and he said to them, thus says God, why do you break the commands of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Hey, why are you doing this? Don't you see you're not prospering? This is not going well. You know, you, you've heard the saints, so how's that going with you for you? How's that going for you? Not going well? Oh, why don't you change? Because, and then he goes on to say, because you have forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. Here's the amazing thing about God. God's grace is always available. It's always immediately available. But his judgments are just around the corner. So don't listen to the grace. Don't accept the grace. The forgiveness. His judgment's just around the corner. And that's what Zechariah says. Well, let's find out about his finish. And I'm sorry my wife is... Not going to be happy about this finish. And if you want that happy ending, I'm sorry, but that's not the way it's portrayed. Second Chronicles 24, verse 21. By this time, Joash, his heart is so hardened. He is so far removed from God that he is capable of doing anything and something very horrible. He reached a very dark place spiritually. Verse 21 but they conspired against him. That's Zechariah. That's the priest that spoke. That's the son of his mentor. And, they, and by the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. And thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, and that he had shown him, but killed his son. And when Zechariah that he, Zechariah, was dying. In his dying breath, listen to what he says. May the Lord see and avenge. And within a year, God has his vengeance. Here's what happens within a year. Joash has to go out to battle. They've got another problem out there. King goes out to battle. While he's out in battle, he's wounded. It's not a fatal wound, but he's injured. He returns home to the palace to recoup and recover from his wounds. And while he's in his bed, Scripture records the names of the two assassins, and they are inside his court. These are his advisors. And Scripture says, because they saw what he had done to Zechariah, they killed him. He starts off in a bloody coup, and his life ends in a bloody coup. Miserable, miserable failure. And here's the last thing that's, uh, that we see about his ending. He was buried as a commoner. This guy was a king. He was a king that reigned 40 years. You would think 40 years, everyone would love him, and at the time of his death, they would have a big celebration, and they would march him out, and they would bury him with the other kings. But that's not true. Listen to what happens. So he, King Joash, that is, he died. And, he, and they buried him in the city of David. But, and there's the big word, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the king. Remember his mentor? Remember how they buried him? Remember how he was a priest that died as a king? Here is a king that dies like a commoner. And when he dies, they bury him in the city of Jerusalem. But no, 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 no. He has no right to be buried as a king. That's how far he had gotten away. That's how his life ended. Not a happy ending. Well, let me see if I can give you some lessons from this guy's life. And uh, there's many lessons that we have here. I'm going to mention eight. And if you're wondering, eight how long are we going to be here? Well, I'm going to go through them very fast, okay? And they're going to be on the screen. So if you want to write them down, you can. But I'm just going to comment on these very quickly. Lessons from King Joash. You know, I believe we can learn from bad examples just as well as good examples. And I, I hope you agree with that. You know, I wish I had great examples of spiritual parents when I was growing up. Some of you kids have that. You have a huge advantage over other students other kids because your parents love god but you can learn from bad examples too that's well let's find out what he says here what what we can learn from him here's the first one you're not a product of your environment despite what people tell you you are not a product of your environment you don't have to you are a product but you don't have to end up as a product of your of your environment you don't have to use the excuse I can't help it. This is just my background. This is just how God made me. I can't help it. Bunk on that. No, you and I have choices to make. We know what Scripture says, and we say, you know what? That might be my background. That might be my family. That might be the way I was raised, but I don't have to live like that. I don't have to live like that today. I can make the choice, and the opposite is also true. Here's the second example, uh, second lesson we can learn. Great mentors and friends can make a huge difference in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, I don't care if you're 10 years old or if you're 80 years old. You need a spiritual mentor. You need several spiritual mentors. And the same is true. Whether you're 8 or 80, you need to be mentoring somebody. Our, our mission statement here at the church is we make disciples that go, grow, and overcome. That is about mentoring. That is done through relationships. That is done one-on-one when we say, you know what, I might not be as far along in, in my walk with the Lord. I may not know much about Scripture, but I know a little bit more than my friend, and my friend needs a little help. And I can just be their friend. I can just be their mentor. I can help them. I can pray with them. I can talk with them. Be a mentor and be mentored. Number three, be a leader and not a follower. Joash did this well in the beginning. Remember? Remember how he said, hey, you, you priests, you guys are working too slow. Let's get with it. Let's bring the professionals in. Let's get this done. Be a leader. All leaders don't look the same. All leaders don't lead the same. But you can be a leader. And that is what Christ has called us to is to be a leader for him. And that may not be in some official leadership way, but we are still leaders and should be leaders. Number four, don't rest on your past accomplishments or failures. You know, here's what happens, and I just want to speak to the the followers of Christ that have been following him for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Here's what happens. We get to the point where we think, oh man, I can just kick it on autopilot. You know, I can just start coasting now. I've already done enough for the Lord. I've served in the children's ministry. I've served in this area or that area of ministry. And now I can just coast on my good achievements. You think that's true? No. We have to keep pursuing serving the Lord. We have to keep going. We can never rest in in autopilot mode. And the opposite is true too. Here's what happens a lot of times, and, and I've, I've been in ministry long enough to see this. People have served the Lord faithfully, and then they have a moral failure. The wheels come off in their life, and they go through a crisis, and they get away from God, and they instantly throw in the towel, and they say, see, I'm useless now. I can't serve God anymore. I've failed miserably. God doesn't love me anymore. Now I just have to kind of sit back and let everybody else do it, because now I'm a, I'm a tainted vessel, and God, is that true? No, that's not true. We serve a gracious God. We serve a God who loves us and says, hey, I know you failed, but I love you anyway. By the way, there was a guy named Peter, you know, and he, he kind of failed too, but God used him in a tremendous way. Maintain proper spiritual foundations. Last week, I spoke all week to the, to the students at Awana Camp, and I talked to them about Certain things in our lives, certain spiritual things need to be top shelf. And this is what I'm talking about. The top shelf things should never, we should never lose that spiritual foundation. Never surrender what is sacred. Remember what he did? He surrendered the things that were dedicated to God for the use other than its purpose. Never surrender what's sacred for other purposes. Never ignore God's invitation to repentance. I've already said this a number of times in this message. Never shoot the messenger. When God gives you an opportunity to repent, God gives you, brings somebody in your life that says, hey, you know what? I just want to talk to you about that thing that you said or that thing you did. I love you enough. I need to challenge you. Don't shoot the messenger. And then the last one. Depend on the Holy Spirit more than your own strength. Here's the difference between us and King Joash. King Joash, number one, didn't have the entire scriptures. He did not have the entire word of God like we have. He did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling in him as a follower of Christ. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and he gives you the strength and the power and the conviction to keep you following the Lord. Lean in on that. It's not about what we do in our flesh and our own ability. It's what Christ can do through us. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Michael has been talking about a lot of these things, but Mike Boyle threw a picture up in his message. If you remember, it, he threw up a bunch of pictures of gravestones. All right, Can we throw that picture up? I don't know if you can see that, but two years ago, if you look closely, there's a name on that gravestone. There's a name of my name on at least 50 of those gravestones. My dad and I and my son, we were down in, uh, where my dad was born and raised, and this is the family, kind of the graveyard of where my family was from down in Kentucky. And it is a sobering thing to walk into a gravestone and you look, and as far as you can see, your name, my name, is on many of these gravestones. Like, wow, now that is how I'm going to be remembered someday. It is a sobering thought. And then you look at my dad, generation ahead of me, and my son, a generation behind me. What we, how we begin our walk with Christ is important. What we do in the middle of our life is important. People remember how we finish, whether we finish strong or whether we finish miserable. This is not an encouraging message. I I understand that. I know it's not a happy-go-lucky message, but I think it's a message that we need to be soberly reminded of more often than not. Will you pray with me? Father, Not an easy message to read, not an easy story to look at in scripture, but it's there and it's there because it's true. And it's true that this king that had so many good things going for him mimic many of us here today. We sit in a church that loves you, that worships you, that serves you, that teaches your word faithfully. But, Lord, you called us to do more than just the middle part of our lives, not more than just the beginning part of walking with you. Lord, you call us to serve you all the way to the end of our lives. And as sobering as this message is, and as difficult and unhappy and unpleasant as it is to bring, Lord, I think we need to hear this. And it wouldn't have been recorded in your word if we didn't. So use it to cause us to love you, to serve you, and to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.